0: This evening, we feel so honoured all day, in fact, to have had Nikki and Silla Lee with us. Nikki and Silla are here today um, continuing our Live Your Best Life series, looking at hashtag relationship goals. And um, Nikki and Silla, um, they work at a church up in London called Holy Trinity, Brompton, where Nikki is the associate vicar. And Nikki and Silla wrote the marriage book. They uh, wrote the marriage course the pre-marriage course, the parenting course, the parenting teenagers course, and um, so much more than that. In fact, uh, I remember just about ten, 11, uh, no, get it right, eleven years ago, uh, Liz, my wife, and I did the pre-marriage course at London with in London with Nikki and Silla, and it was the most helpful thing. And I was saying this morning how I'm reminded on an almost daily basis of things I should remember from that course to help me be a better husband. But um, there, there's so much wisdom to hear, and I'm really honoured that we get to have them with us at the six pm. Service. Charlotte and I are going to be interviewing them, so please give a really warm welcome to Nikki and Silla Lee. So nice to have you with us, we're, um, we're so grateful to you and it's going to be great, um, Charlotte and I are going to be asking you some questions, which I know that um, few people in the room have contributed to some of those questions as well,
1: so thank you again so much. Um, so to begin with, we'd just love to ask you some questions just to get to know you a bit better, um, yeah. and particularly about your relationship. So, Nikki and Silla, how did you guys meet?
2: Mm-hmm. Oh gosh. <laughs> um... <laughs> Well, we met a very, very, very long time ago. Um, I was just 17. Nicky was 18. I'm way older.
1: <laughs> a mature man. He'd... Yeah, I,
3: I had a full head of hair. That helped. And I had a car. So that was the second factor that weighed heavily. He had
2: just left school. I was still had another year to go at school. So anyway, we met going on holiday with a mutual friend, and in the southwest of Ireland. And we um, spent two weeks in next door holiday cottages with a whole kind of lot of well families and teenagers and everything. And I mean, I literally Nikki says I'm completely wrong to say this, <laughs> but I fell in love with him at first sight. When I saw him getting out of the mini in the ferry queue at Swansea Docks, not a very romantic place, I thought, wow. And then Nikki says to me, that's not accurate. You just basically fancied me. And I said, yes, exactly. I'm not meant
3: to tell that what? publicly, darling. That was a private conversation. And anyway, I felt exactly the same about Scylla. But neither of us told each other what we felt because we had no idea whether the other felt anything. And this went on for 10 days. And we were trying to impress each other and so on. till eventually it all came out. And, well, that's another story, really.
2: <laughs> so, really, from, from that point on, we were, like, going out. But, I mean, I was still at school. And Nicky actually then disappeared to, to, on his gap year for six months. And this is 1970 three, two, three, three, and um, there literally was no way of staying in touch over those six months. And everybody said to me at school, don't be silly, he'll have forgotten you by the time he gets back. Forget it, this is all never gonna happen and all the rest. I knew inside, I said, no, it's gonna still. And you know, I love him. And um, no internet, no nothing. So the only way we could stay in touch was by writing letters to each other. But Nikki was traveling from Ethiopia in the north of um, Africa all the way down to the south. And he to Cape Town, and he had no idea where he was going to be, when, or anything. So the only way we could do it was by writing to there's a, like the main post office in the capital city of each country.
1: Oh my gosh, it's like a real life Dear John situation. <laughs> you know the
2: movie. Anyway, we survived that, and actually that was an. Inc- I hate not seeing you guys around here. It, it was an incredibly formative part of our relationship building because honestly we've got six months worth of letters that that we communicated stuff that i know we would never have communicated to each other if we'd been seeing each other all the time
1: that's really amazing and i kind of probably jumping ahead to some questions that could ask a bit later but um you kind of talk about that must have been a time where your like emotional relationship was really building when you weren't physically with each other you weren't spending that quality yeah. time with each other how did you um, sort of in that dating phase still how did you manage to navigate this kind of emotional boundaries, I guess, um, which are like an important part of relationships. We often talk about physical boundaries. But how did you guys navigate those emotional boundaries in your relationship? I
3: I don't think we thought of it in those terms at all. But it was very much uh, over the months and then over the four years till we got married, it was just gradually just disclosing more and more. And I I think one of the things we realised is that Close relationships like this, a dating relationship, is about finding out about each other, and that was partially, as Scylla said, writing letters, it was partially then when we were back together asking each other questions. And I think one of the greatest insights into relationships is there is always more to discover. We never get to know everything there is about another person, that's what makes relationships exciting and fun, or conversely, if you stop asking questions, when they, they become stuck, they get boring.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's amazing hearing you guys talk about your marriage and um, we've been talking about relationships, but. I wonder, when you think about relationships, um, two questions, I guess. One is, is marriage for, for everyone and is that what we're all sort of aiming towards? Um, and when you talk about values in good relationships, are you just talking about marriage or you know, dating relationships?
3: Do you know what? One of the things I love about the New Testament is that marriage and singleness are both valued very highly. And it's not one or the other... Uh, And I I think one of the things I love about the church is we're made up of those who are married and those who are single. And, you know, both Paul describes both marriage and singleness as gifts. Now, some people say, oh, I don't want to have that gift, thank you very much. But actually, a gift in the New Testament, when Paul's talking about it, is this is something that, a way that God wants to use us. And, and people don't usually think of marriage like that. They don't think of marriage in terms of how can we be used as a couple. Marriage, in sort of Hollywood terms, is how can I be fulfilled? How can we make each other happy? How can we be happy as a couple? But marriages are designed to, to of course, for there to be this deep connection, but they're to be used for others. And exactly the same for singleness. God uses single people in a way he couldn't use married couples and uses married couples in a way he couldn't use single people. We need both, we need each other. And I think that's why a church made up of singles and marries together, this is a healthy community and where we value both equally.
1: And- so that, that's really great. We're talking for both sort of people in relationships, people pursuing that, also people not. But um, I wonder, when it comes to people that are looking for a bay, looking for a relationship, <laughs> um, how proactive should we be in pursuing those relationships? Um, often, you know particularly among Christians uh, you know we talk about you know waiting for the right timing and all of that kind of stuff and that's not just in the church you know people want a relationship to be in the right timing and and thinking that something will just come along that is right but you know how how proactive actually do we have to be in pursuing relationship or should we be or should we just wait for the right thing to come along at the right time
2: um well I think I mean, I think we should all be being proactive, and it goes back to broadening it just from looking for a partner for marriage and dating. I mean, I think God created us to be in relationship with him, and that's something we absolutely need to pursue every day of our life. And also He created us to be in relationship with other people, um, and whatever relationship, friendship, colleague,. Blah, 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 blah. Brothers and sisters in Christ. But those don't just happen. And actually, we have to be proactive. We have to look out. We have to reach out. We have to step out. And every relationship requires a risk. And, you know, I think now the very sad thing about culture and, and, and what's happening in society, not only here in the UK, but all around the world, is people are becoming very isolated. And it's really crazy, isn't it? That actually with, I mean, phenomenal communication tools, we actually have become a more isolated, lonely world. And actually the same is true for all relationships and for dating relationships. We have to take a risk. We have to step out. We have to go towards people and make connections. So I think the answer is yes, we need to be proactive um, and, but, but we, it takes courage. It takes courage to step out and want to get to know somebody. And we all have to get. And I think it's quite countercultural to get conversant in um, doing that. Are you going to say about sort of an etiquette for? No. No. Okay. No, I, gonna...
3: <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to say another angle on that question. I think there is a, a myth in the world and a myth sometimes in the church, which is that there is the one for each one of us, and our quest is to find the one. The Bible never describes uh, dating or marriage or courtship like that. It is more about just what Scylla says, being proactive, going on dates, exploring relationships, finding out about other people. And in, in the whole sort of dating, of course, is about getting to know different people, exploring. As Cilla said, taking risks. I mean, we might ask somebody out on a date and they might say, no, thanks very much. We have to accept that. But equally, you may have a fantastic time and think, oh yeah, we get on really well. We want to explore a bit further. I also want to
2: say, you may not think it's very good, somebody asks you on a date, or you ask somebody, and it doesn't seem to go very well, and you think, no, I'm not gonna follow that up. Actually, I want to say, get out of that box. Don't have a kind of, oh, the person I'm eventually gonna marry has got to be this, 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 and this, and that guy, that woman sitting in front of me, whatever we were doing, um, definitely doesn't fit those categories. And I want to say to you, just drop that. Drop those preconceived ideas and say, okay, let's do something else. Let's go to do this or let's shall we join so and so for that and start to get to know them and i know a lot of people who've actually decided intentionally to do that and quite a few of them are now married to each other
0: yeah. um so just a really quick follow up on that cuz it's um but really practically how do you not be so on one extreme let's get to know somebody and kiss a different person every night of the week or let's sort of like wait and be really healthy and sort of think once a year i'll sort of write to somebody and ask them out <laughs> like where's the where's the line cuz it's difficult you sort of so for some people, they here you've got to pursue it and they're like, okay, let me go. And for some people, you know, it will take more. So what's, hel- what's healthy there?
3: And I think that depends tremendously on our personality. You know, some of us here will be extroverts. As you say, it's great just to go out. And other of us are much more private, perhaps more introverts. And it takes more courage, actually, either to ask somebody on a date or to accept an invitation to go out on a date. But I I think whichever way we are, we, and we can't give you a rule as to how many dates you go (laughs) on in a year. And I know some people who thought, no, actually, this particular year, I believe God is just calling me to build friendships, just to build a friendship group within the church. And I'm not going to go out just on dates as such with, with people. But at other times, people feel, no, it's good to, explore. Of course, it needs to be with the understanding that if, if this could go further, then you do need to know the pers- other person isn't dating six other people at the same time. You know, that's a level of honesty and trust.
2: Um, I just want to say something in general about kind of dating in church communities. Because we've been around to quite a few churches now, not only here in the UK, but all around the world. And I can honestly say that churches that are in cities like this with young people like you, it tends to be the same, that there is a kind of sense of, A, first, wow, we're in a goldfish bowl. Everybody is watching any move we make. Secondly, that that today there is sort of no... Etiquette. So that was why I was wondering whether Nikki was going to say that. I think that the sort of dating culture that should be is sort of frozen because nobody knows quite what to do. Or if somebody does do something, everybody's thinking oh, that means they might get married. Or uh, you know, somebody's thinking no, we we you know this might not work out. And then what do we do? And so there's all this uncertainty, fear. I think unknown around it. And I've. I think what we're trying to encourage, and HTB is actually no better at all, though we are trying to open up the culture and say, come on, let's talk about it more, let's um, help each other. And it's really about having a kind of code of etiquette that we will all agree together that actually we will treat each other with these kind of ways of of acting, of respect and so on. Why don't you say, um, we learnt the most fabulous analogy from um, Liz this afternoon, and you repeat it, because I will get it wrong, from Liz.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'd I'd never heard this or thought about it before, but Liz was talking about, um, you know, dating, being exploring, getting to know people, but it may not work out. And she said, it's like if I go into Topshop, I've never been into Topshop in my life, which is why I need to take it from Liz. Liz saying it's like going into Topshop. Oh yeah, she, she's been into Topshop. <laughs> <laughs> not I, I haven't personally. I've never been. Sorry, my darling, I'm being very unclear. But she said going into Topshop, if she tries something on, she may not buy it. But if she doesn't buy it, she doesn't sort of chuck it on the floor. She actually treats it with uh, with. Respect and you know we might fold it up because somebody else might want to buy this yeah. so and I thought really I thought really that's, that's a great attitude if you're trying on tops yeah. <laughs> in top shop But it's yeah. an even more important attitude towards dating. Yeah. How would you treat this person? And I remember a friend of ours saying that Any of the, this is a woman any man that I dated I wanted in the future to be able to look if I didn't marry that particular man to be able to look his wife in the eyes and say, I looked after him for you.
1: (laughs) that's so nice, that's such a good analogy. I did wonder, um, we spoke a little bit about, you know, the current dating culture and and how that has changed and, you know, um, actually the healthiness of of dating and exploring those different relationships. Dating websites and apps are a really big part of sort of current dating culture. I just wondered what you guys thought about, you know, dating apps, using those. Is that healthy? Is talking to, you know, several people at the same time, is that that a healthy part of just exploring those relationships?
3: I, I think we have to say, it's great. We should use any means that we can to meet people and get to know people. And of course, dating, Apps and the like have come about because of our culture, where people are more separated. We don't live in the same geographical communities that people once did. So they chose from this whether it was 50 people or 100 people who they were going to date and court and then then marry. Today, it's much more. We we have much wider connections, and therefore, I think dating apps are are properly uh, they're a good thing to use. However. I think it would be a mistake if we only relied on those and actually many uh, many relationships come out of an existing friendship group. We, we know one couple really well who were at HTB for a number of years, they were in the same connect group for a number of years and then it was after a number of years, suddenly something clicked. And they started going out and now they've been married for many, many years. And uh, and I think that's very healthy, being part of a a group where you're making relationships with a group of people. But I don't want to rule out the dating apps as well.
2: No, and and we know uh, really quite a lot now of people who have met through dating apps. I think as a Christian, I'd want to encourage you to go to Christian dating apps, and there are some good ones all over the place, whatever country you're in. And, and to really be clear about who you are. That's the thing, and I think this is probably one of the things I want to kind of encourage all of you to be in the world of social media, in the world of dating apps. We need to have the confidence to be who we are, be wise about what we say, all of that stuff. And the thing of, you know, how many people you're in touch with, and if you then start to connect with someone, you start to meet someone, that you have some real ethics around, um, you know, um, some boundaries, probably is the right word, not ethics, boundaries around making it clear to other people, um, actually, I'm um, finishing that and then con- connecting with just one person and then taking it from there and being very honest and clear with one another. And I know a couple who, right now who've met on online and they've now started meeting and going out. They've been going out about six months. And they were so honest at the beginning and, you know, making clear to each other, I finished being in touch with anybody else. And I'm ra- really now, you know, wanting just to get to know you and being very vulnerable and honest and real about who they are.
1: Kind of on that, and obviously, honesty and communication really important. Do you think it's possible to over communicate in a relationship? And um, you know, it's all very well being really honest about you know how you're feeling, all that kind of stuff. But if one day you're just like, oh, you are really ticking me off, it, you know, should we always be, like, communicating oh, everything? Good question,
2: that? good question. I mean, no, there is... Um, I, I mean, communication is the core of a healthy relationship, and I do not want anybody in this room to think that you can get by with sort of not communicating, not being um, vulnerable, especially with a partner. Um, and, and But I have learned a lot about um, communicating better than I did when I came into marriage. And I am an extrovert. I come from a family where it was very loud, a lot of volatility.
3: Everybody talked at the same time, all the time. It was amazing. I'd never come across this before in my life.
2: And you just said what you thought. And even if people were upset and thought something different and they were hurt, then they'd go off on a mood. You knew what everybody was. And I just, everything was out there. Now, in one way, that's good because it's not suppression. But in another way, I had no idea about sensitivities. And now I have learned over 42, nearly 43 years of marriage, there are times and things, well, things and times not to say to Nikki straight away. It may be he's under pressure and this is too much and um, I have to be controlled and restrained and wait for a better time to talk to him about something so yes um, but i want to i want to just swing that to outside of a couple relationship and when you're dating i mean outside of a marriage and when you're dating i think Again, I heard this years ago, and I thought it was such a helpful analogy. When you are in a relationship, starting out in a relationship, it's like one of those sound desk things. I don't know if they've got, no, they probably haven't got it anymore. It's out of date, but where you have sliders on all the different things. Oh, you still have sliders. Okay, I'm not at all techie. But it's like every area of our relationship, whether it's the physical, the spiritual, the intellectual, the emotional, whatever, is there's a slider for each thing. Now I think that there are pr- pr- you get into a kind of imbalance and it can get a bit unhealthy if any one of those sliders goes from naught to a hundred too quickly. And actually, I think what we're aiming to do is to have a much more rounded connection and and growing in friendship, relationship, and so on, so that each of the sliders gets pushed up, kind of you know, in a way at the same time. Now, one of the things we didn't say about when Nikki and I first met as teenagers, we were not Christians. We'd not grown up in Christian homes. And we didn't come to faith until um, we were students at university, at a a university mission. And we'd been going out for nearly two years. So a lot of things changed because when we'd been going out for a while, when Nikki got back from Africa and so on, we started sleeping together. And... I'd say that the sliders in our relationship, the, the physical sexual thing went up to 100, I mean, far, far too fast. And actually, with hindsight and looking back, we would say that that really overshadowed our relationship in a kind of unhealthy way. I mean, we thought it was the most natural thing in the world, we wanted to express our love to each other, we were committed to each other, we'd even started talking about getting married even though we were so young. And we thought, this is the only way we can show that to one another. And yet, it was very intense. And actually now, we can see that that wasn't really God's plan. And it, I mean, a lot changed when we became Christians. And even the very night that we both knelt down and prayed and gave our lives to the Lord, we knew, and nobody had said anything to us. But we just knew we should stop sleeping together. oh my gosh, it was just like awful. It was like, I thought, this is the most amazing thing that Jesus has died for me and forgiven me. And now I want to follow him and go his way and have him show me the way for my life. But no, I don't want to lose Nikki. And this is the only person i have got. you know, all that rubbish. And it was like, I was crying and bawling my eyes out. And yet... We knew, and it was literally now, looking back I know, the conviction of the Holy Spirit who had put in our hearts that this was something
3: precious to keep for marriage. And you know, our fear was that we would, if we stopped sleeping together, we'd drift apart. But over the next two years till we did did get married, what we discovered was our relationship grew. And it became much more rounded, as Silla described, you know, others of the sliders of communication, getting to know each other, matched the physical. And uh, we were profoundly grateful then when we did get married that actually I think our relationship was in a much better shape than, uh, as a result of keeping sex until we did get married.
0: I've got a couple of follow-ups about yeah. that because um, I didn't grow up going to church either and I remember I became a Christian and similarly, nobody really said, but I felt the Holy Spirit sort of say, oh, that's for marriage. Um, why do you think the Holy Spirit um, encourages sex for marriage? And if people haven't got that language around the Holy Spirit, doing why, why do Christians talk about saving sex for marriage?
3: When you, when you look at the place of sex in the Bible, sex is, is valued really highly. You our culture tends to devalue sex, almost to the sort of lowest point. I remember years ago reading um, a book by the last but one, or last but two popes, Pope John Paul II. And in this book, he wrote about how the opposite of to love someone is to use someone. And he was really describing what what was going on through the sexual revolution in the 1960s, 70s and so on. And sex is this amazing, beautiful gift that God gives to mankind. And we are to uh, treat it as something very precious, something very beautiful, and to recognize how powerful it is, and how powerful it is to join two people, to join a man and a woman together. It unites us, and as the Bible describes, the two will become one, one flesh joined together. And what we've seen through the years is that where people have slept with somebody else and then stopped relating, come apart, it's caused great pain to both both parties and uh, some of course just carry on like that and they devalue sex and don't even sort of really notice the pain anymore but actually in so doing they've started to trash this this precious gift and God gives us his guidelines because partially he wants to protect us, he wants sex to be this amazing bonder uh, but to keep it for that committed relationship, the covenant relationship of, of marriage.
1: And I just wonder, I feel like sex and marriage is something that we talk about in terms of very sort of human, physical, worldly terms, but it's almost like sex is something that bonds you together far more than anything else. Like, what is going on spiritually in sex, and even in in marriage, when it's kind of like, oh, we talk about it like a covenant under God, like... Mm -hmm. I I feel like we don't talk about the spiritual side of it very often, and that can often be something that is just... It's very lost. Like, what is going on spiritually Mm. in sex and in marriage?
2: Well, I I think it's... Again, it's in the Bible, and it's right in the the little book, right in the centre of the Bible, the Song of Songs, and that is actually an erotic love poem. And it's beautiful, um, telling the story of a (coughs) new um, um, bridegroom and his bride. But it is also a picture of Christ and his relationship with us. And actually, this is the amazing design and plan of God. I mean, marriage is a good thing on lots of levels. I mean, A, God designed marriage for friendship. God designed marriage for procreation. God designed marriage to use two people in a partnership that he has a plan and purpose for in a way that he uses them in a way he may not be able to use a single person, but he uses a single person in a different way. But, But it is also his plan that, and this is with sex as an absolutely core ingredient of a marriage relationship, it is, and that's intimacy at its deepest on an emotional, physical, psychological, spiritual level. It is all those ways, you know, being made one with somebody sexually. And that is a picture of God's love for each one of us. It is that intimate, faithful, committed, unconditional love relationship that God has for us, for every human being in the world. And marriage, is a sign of that. It's the nearest thing on earth to God's love for us. Now, of course, it's an imperfect sign because there is no marriage relationship that is like God's love for us. But it is a beautiful sign. And, you know, that's why the enemy wants to undermine and destroy marriages. And that is, we need to see it as a work of the enemy. The breakdown of marriage and family life in our country and around the world is the work of the enemy to undermine this beautiful sign of God's love for us on earth and that's why i believe that we as the church need to champion marriage whether you are single or married we all as a church can say marriage is good because it's a sign of God's love
0: some from people i speak to sometimes this whole area can be an area where you sort of feel a bit guilty like if you um, like you guys, were, you know, if you aren't married and you've been sleeping together, or there are other areas of your life where you feel a sense of guilt and shame. And I guess I know that people who just sort of slowly withdraw from church because they don't really want to come because they feel a bit... Well, how can we um, address that?
3: Well, one of the... Um, uh, can, can I Just before I answer that, can I just backtrack for a moment? Because... Um Having talked about marriage like that, I always feel again we need to talk about singleness as well. And, um, you know, it's interesting. We, I said earlier how the Bible values uh, marriage and singleness. And it is extraordinary how our society, our culture, tends to reject both, reject marriage, as Philip described, and reject singleness, thinking that's sad and, and lonely. But actually, when you look at the New Testament, The three most significant characters, John the Baptist, St. Paul, and of course supremely Jesus himself were all single. And therefore we have to believe that and and to know that uh, we are to be completely fulfilled through our relationship with God. We're not, uh, we reject the phrase when if married people talk about my other half, we always say, don't use that phrase. We're not half people who then get married to become whole. We are to be whole people through uh, fulfilled and complete, free through our relationship with God. And actually, marriage is only really healthy when you have two whole people who come together to get married. So again, we must value uh, marriage and singleness. Now, I've completely forgotten your question, Alex. I am so sorry.
2: Yeah, but um, I, I just wanted to say too that um you know nobody oh, yes. leads an unfulfilled life because they haven't been able to have sex so if you are single or you know people who are single and are single you know all their lives that does not mean they are going to lead a less fulfilled life of course we all are sexual beings and it's that is a very important part of our identity of who we are and that's a beautiful thing but you know Sex is a very powerful, as Nikki said, thing, and and again, it can control us rather than us controlling it, and it can become a very um, destructive force. And actually, it can cause a lot of shame and guilt and just a sense of um, it's not it's not a it's not a good um, thing for anybody. And so. That's why God has given us a, a context where that is a good thing, where it's, it's, it's to be enjoyed and to, you know, it's, it's got fantastic reasons. But it is absolutely doesn't go to say that we don't actually... Um, manage and control and bring self-control into living life as a single person and yet still fully not living a repressed life, not saying, I just have to suppress all this. Actually, we need to learn to um, live with a healthy um, recognition of our own sexuality
1: kind of sorry Nikki just to interrupt kind of on that yeah. and obviously like you've mentioned we're sexual beings and our sexuality and sexual desires don't just begin at the point of a relationship or a marriage so are there healthy ways for us to you know explore and embrace our sexuality um, before we are married like I'm basically asking about masturbation is what I'm asking about. What, what are your opinions,
3: what, do you, well, what are your views th- I on masturbation? That
2: that's fine, I, I mean, that's exactly what I mean by...
3: You've got two women on the stage here who are completely unselfconscious, not embarrassed <laughs> by any topic under the sun. Am I right there, Alex, looking at these two? So I'll hand the microphone back to Scylla. <laughs>
2: It's just what I was saying that you know, masturbation. I don't want to say masturbation is wrong. Masturbation is right. Anything. I'm not going to. I'm going to leave that up to you to make a judgment. All I want to say is that actually, our sexual urges, and especially when they turn inwards, which can happen, um, and masturbation is one way that that happens, they can become very, very addictive and destructive. And I would say one of the biggest areas around masturbation today. Um, and one of the leading problems in relationships is the easy accessibility of pornography. And pornography, I mean, honestly, we could talk forever about it, but to be honest, it damages and destroys relationship. And I mean relationship with anybody if you become addicted, because it is so addictive. And that is why it's destructive. And that's where we would just want to say caution and think about how um, is this something that actually I'm in control of? Is this something that is looking outwards, that is actually helping me in building healthy relationships?
3: And just to follow on from that, of course, what pornography does is it starts to shape the way that we view the opposite sex. And you know, I, I think the mirror image of that is looking again at the New Testament at Jesus. Jesus had very close relationships with men and with women, and yet was a single celibate man. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And if you want to follow, pursue this further, read John's gospel with, with that in mind. And the close relationships, very clear with his disciples, but also there are three occasions through John's gospel where Jesus is alone with a woman. And in each case, she is a figure of shame. Uh, The woman at the well comes in the middle of the day. She's had five husbands. Man she's living with, not her husband. May well have been pregnant, actually. Comes in the middle. Jesus engages her. Uh, The woman uh, caught in the act of adultery, where Jesus says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Just left with this woman. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. And then Mary Magdalene in the garden. And each time I think, oh my goodness, these are beautiful because Jesus takes away their shame. There's no shame. And it's so often shame, whether it's come from our past where we we weren't responsible at all, what happened to us, or things that we have done. And that woman caught in adultery, she was a party to it. But Jesus forgives her, engages her, and takes away her shame. And that is one of the keys to healthy, I think, healthy relationships and healthy sexuality.
0: We could keep asking you questions all night. There's so so much that we could um, ask you about. But I wonder if what we might do, because if we... Um, wrap up our interview now. We've got a bit longer to be able to pray, and we'd love you to lead us um, in a time of prayer, if that would be okay. What we do is um, every Sunday night we have an opportunity for people to pray and people to respond. So I wonder if you might do that now, if you're happy to lead us. Should we start?